Hey guys, and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Real World Podcast with your hosts, myself, Anushka, Esme, and Sophie. This week, we'll be having Esme doing the introducing segment, talking about an Indigenous activist, followed by Sophie in Something You've Always Wanted to Know, talking about the US town with the smallest population in the world, and then myself talking about the imminent British tea crisis. Clearly very important in Britain. (laughs) And then for our main segment, we'll be discussing the work of a few NGOs dedicated to reducing the impacts of climate change. So we hope you enjoy this episode and I'll hand over to Esme for the introducing segment. So I will be introducing an indigenous activist, as Anushka said, by the name of Hindu Umaru Ibrahim, who is from a pastoralist community in Chad. And she has spent the last 10 years working to bridge the gap between international decisions on climate change with the reality on the ground. So she said she wanted to tell people what it's like in the country. Leading up to the historic 2015 climate change meeting in Paris, she was a key leader among indigenous groups that successfully lobbied to have their rights recognised, and she was selected to speak at the signing ceremony of the Accords. Indigenous communities are among the most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change, but they can also offer solutions. The traditional knowledge of indigenous people that is centuries old can help the world adapt. So I'll now be passing on to Sophie, talking about the town in the USA with the smallest population. So you may have wondered where the town with the smallest population in the US is. Well, that would be Monowai in the state of Nebraska, USA. So the population of the town is just one person, and that person is 87-year-old Elsie Isla. So she is the mayor, clerk, librarian, and the only person left in the town. So she spends her time running the tavern around six days a week, um, and many people from miles around come to visit the town and check up on her. So there's also a small library that she set up in memory of her late husband, and this contains over 5,000 of his old books. So she says she enjoys running um, the tavern in the town, and she says she gets to meet many people from different parts of the world who come to visit the US's smallest town in America. So Elsie also sets up a mayoral election every single year where she advertises for the mayor and she votes for herself. So um, I think she has a very interesting lifestyle out there. I hope she didn't get too lonely in the lockdown because there's not much tourism going on in the US. So she'll just be there in her town by herself. (laughs) Yeah, I think luckily she's got people back into her tavern now. So it should be better. (laughs) So I'm going to be talking about the climate change story of the week, which is the British tea crisis, the segment that you've all been waiting for, I'm sure. Um, So I don't know if you knew, but the UK, along with Ireland, consumes more cups of tea than anywhere else in the world. But British tea could be in jeopardy from climate change, which affects the crop yields. So changes in weather caused by climate change, specifically in the key exporting countries, will definitely have an impact on how much tea we're able to brew. So there was a report done by Christian A found that Kenya is really likely to receive erratic patterns of rainfall and changes in weather as a result of global warming. So there'll be more risk of flood and drought and these weather changes could threaten the crop yields. And because Kenya is the world's biggest exporter of black tea, it means that England might have a bit of a crisis with with low numbers of black tea. That's clearly a big issue in uh, in Britain. Um, So they estimated that production is due to fall 39% by 2050 because of the reduced time of optimal growing conditions. Um, Other major tea exports like India, Sri Lanka and China were also due to face similar problems. 
Yeah, so although these issues may seem really large, there are so many great NGOs who are dedicating their work to solving environmental issues. And we don't really have enough time to even scratch the surface in this episode. Um, but we'll start off by giving you some great examples, and we may do a part two. So you probably already know some of um, the NGOs like Greenpeace and the WWF, so we thought we'd cover a few equally important organisations that you might have heard of. So Anushka is going to introduce Client Earth. Yeah, so Client Earth is an NGO that's taking a really practical approach to the problem of climate change. Um, They're really trying to make changes from the inside and using law to bring about systematic changes that protect the earth. So it was founded by James Thornton in 2008, and since then has been awarded many awards. For example, it was named the most effective environmental group by Green Leaders in 2017. So they make sure to specify that they protect the earth, but also want to protect its inhabitants. So it's a win-win scenario, um, acting as the earth's lawyer and ensuring that the earth is treated correctly. So most of the work they do is informing, implementing and enforcing environmental protection law. Advising policymakers and training legal professionals. They have offices in London, Brussels, Warsaw, Berlin and Beijing. And from what I understand, most of their work is, is focused in Europe, but they do have a few projects that work with China, like the EU-China Environmental Project, where part of the work that they did was training over 1,500 judges in China in environmental law, which I think will be really beneficial to them. They've also done things like blocked Europe's largest planned coal plant from being developed, pressured the withdrawal of funding for fossil fuels and prevented the destruction of Europe's oldest rainforest. So they're doing some really, really great work. And if you want to look into them more, they have a really great website. I think they're definitely worth supporting. So I am going to talk about Julie's Bicycle, which probably doesn't really sound like a traditional um, NGO, considering I'm coming straight after Client Earth. Um, But Julie's Bicycle is a London-based charity that supports the creative community to act on climate change and environmental sustainability. So they really focus on how the arts can bring about change locally, nationally and internationally. So they run um, loads of events and they provide resources to the community to help them engage in climate change and climate sustainability. So Julie's Bicycle also support the Paris Agreement goal to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by focusing on energy, which is the major source of carbon emissions for the cultural sector. More than 2,000 companies use the Creative IG tools, the carbon calculators and the certification scheme Creative Green, which is the recognised benchmark for sustainability achievement within the creative industries. So they clearly have a deep engagement with the art and cultural sector And they have two key objectives, which is to advocate to and for culture to publicly inspire action on climate change and sustainability. They are very focused on equipping professionals, artists and communities with the knowledge and skills to speak out on this issue, using their creativity to influence one another and the wider movement. Secondly, they support the Paris Agreement goal to limit global warming to below two degrees by focusing on energy which, as I said, was the most important source of carbon emissions for the cultural sector. So we're located in London, so we'll definitely be going and checking them out and supporting them. And if you live nearby, I'd encourage you to as well. It's quite a unique um, NGO, so it's really interesting and we encourage you to check it out. 
So finally, we'll be talking about the Global Green Growth Institute, which is quite a mouthful, but um, their main goal is to create a resilient world of strong, inclusive and sustainable growth by encouraging a global transition towards a model of green growth. <laughs> so basically, they Quite a yeah, um, they aid countries in transferring to uh, sort of more green development strategies and plans. So they have a quite unique in-country pre- presence and they have a role as a neutral, trusted advisor and strategic development partner embedded in the governments. And they can the advisors are directly engaged with the national governments and they help them set the strategic direction for national programs of green development. They want to maximize potential to translate green growth strategies and economic policies into green investment plans and green finance commitments. So they're doing quite a similar thing to Client Earth by working from the inside and working with the governments to create these policies that protect the environment in the future and working with law in that way. The Global Green Growth Institute, as of 2020, has 38 members, including countries from Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, Latin America, Middle East and the Pacific. So practically all over the world. So they're doing some really great work and basically we encourage you to support them all. So as always, we're going to have our recommendations for podcasts that you can listen to alongside ours. So first of all, The Living Planet is um, a podcast with weekly 30-minute episodes, and it tells the environmental stories from around the world, digging deeper into topics that touch our lives every single day. So it explores our Earth and the impacts we have on it, from the food we eat to the waste we produce. And the second one we're going to talk about is Costing the Earth, which presents well-researched and balanced explanations of environmental issues and also how they might shape our future. So, for an example, they had How Will Protection of the British Coast Change After Brexit and the Australian Green Energy Policies. So if you want the links with these, we'll leave them in the description box of our podcast. So thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye.